You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Well, good morning, Life Church. Yeah, you guys doing well? I'm excited about that prophetic conference. That looks really super cool. And if you've ever wanted to dive into more of that prophetic gifting, uh, don't miss that. It's going to be super cool. And it's going to be here at the Noblesville campus. Last year we had it at the Pendleton campus. But um, yeah, it's just going to, being able to see into the spiritual realm. We have a guy coming to speak. Um, uh, his name is Michael Van Vlyman. And he's, he's very good at seeing into that spiritual the spiritual realm the, between where heaven and earth meet. And so he's got some cool stories, um, and he kind of teaches you how to see what's going on uh, beyond the, the natural veil. And, and it really is. I mean, we are in a battle between spiritual powers. And when you can see, when you can discern, hey, this is a spiritual battle. Here's a spiritual enemy coming against me. It helps you fight the battle uh, in, in a much more effective way. So you got to know your enemy in order to be successful in in warfare, uh, and so we just we want to equip the church here at Life Church to be able to do that uh, because we know we're getting bombarded by the world, we're getting bombarded by by the spiritual darkness, uh, and and then you you know you're getting bombarded by other things too. Your own flesh is attacking you at times. So there's a lot of ways that you have to learn to walk through um, this this life. But God's equipped us; He's given us the the strength and the spirit to be able to do so. So that's what we want to do here at Life Church. If you're new, uh, my name's Pastor Micah, and we uh, were four campuses. This is the Noblesville location, but we go through God's word verse by verse, and we are in 2 Samuel right now in chapter 16, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to wrap up chapter 16, and then we're going to go into our Christmas series. Next week, we start our Christmas series, so as you heard Elijah say, we're, we're, we've got uh, some initiatives to be able to benefit and bless our world around us. Uh, if you were here in the last couple weeks and you helped with the food drive, thank you so much. We, we like Elijah said, we gave 300 uh, meals away yesterday at the Fishers campus, which was amazing to see the hands and feet of Jesus doing what, what we're supposed to be doing. And, and it's because of your generosity. And so people, the, the question we ask ourselves a lot at Life Church is, if we were to vanish tomorrow, would the community notice? That's, that should be the heart behind every church. Hey, we want to be such an impactful part of the community that people know us. They know they can go for us, to, uh, come here for help. They know that they can get spiritual guidance and, and strength here. If we were to be removed tomorrow, would they even notice? And there are some churches, unfortunately, in, in this world that they could disappear tomorrow and not too many people would notice. We don't want to be that church. We want to be a church that says we love passionately, we speak the truth of God's word passionately and boldly, and, and the world's going to know that Jesus loves them through Life Church. So that's what it's all about here at Life Church. Are you guys cool with that? Is that a, is that a good thing? Yeah, we can, we can agree on that. So if you're new, that's what we do at Life Church. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this passage in 2 Samuel. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll open up God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a good God, and we ask that you would just give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see today, God, what you want us to see and hear. Father, we pray that you would teach us new things, remind us of old things, God, and give us uh, direction for the future and how we should walk through this life. We love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Okay, so Judah first 
We, if you were here a couple weeks ago, actually two months ago, uh, at our first Wednesday service, we talked about what the word Judah means, and we're going to dive into that more. And just so you know, we've got some, we've got some shirts that just came in this, this week, and it says this. It says Judah first on them, and it has Judges 20, verse 18, and it says send Judah first. And it's a reminder, this is how we fight our battles. And so you can get these shirts out at the welcome desk. And, and again, we, we actually, we, we talked about it at the first Wednesday service. And then it just so happened that we were coming on onto this message. And you're going to see what David does when he is met with hardships in the world. He, he Judah firsts. And I'll explain that in a second. Just so you know, though, the word Judah literally means to praise. And when you are going to be attacked, when you're going to reap the consequences of stupid decisions that you make, just like David's doing here in this passage, we're seeing his sin is causing him to go through what he's going through. He doesn't cry out as the victim. He cries out to God in praise. He goes to a place of praise. And Judah literally means to praise. That should be our first instinct every time we wake up. Anytime the battle gets fierce, we should Judah first. Now, David is, is, like I said, he's living in the consequences of his sin. So he may, he may be saying, Lord, why is this happening to me? He could have been saying that, but he's not. He knows why it's happening to him. He did some really dumb things as king, and the Lord told him, this is what's going to happen. And we see now that sin comes into, it, it, it comes into full manifestation. Sin will always find you out. Sin will always lead to destruction. Sin will always produce rotten fruit. This is the problem with mankind. We have a sin nature. We are wicked by nature. And but God steps in, we are, we are without any hope. But if God steps in, we have all hope. Luke 8, 17 says this, For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought into the light and made known to all. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You getting the theme here? There's nothing that's going to be able to be hidden. Everything's going to be brought to light, good and bad. That should scare us all. <laughs> should cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's like literally every, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if there's going to be a big LED screen in heaven. It's going to, all right, Mike, get back with, okay, you're up. We're going to go through your life. We're going to show everyone what you did. All the good and bad, it's like, oh my gosh, did I really say that? I can't believe I said that, right? You know, Lord, please don't show that to my, my mom's in the room. Don't show that, right? Uh, but this is, this is what David's experiencing to, in this passage right here. He's seeing his sin is going to be made known to everyone. It's, it's producing the wicked fruit, the rotten fruit of his wicked actions. Luke 12, 2 says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. And then Galatians 6 says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Now, I love this because there are some people in here who have the heart of justice. When will justice prevail? When are we going to see bad people get what they deserve, right? Like, you know, I, if you're like me, that, I get that way sometimes. And, and my wife has a big time heart of justice. And I mean, there was a movie called Meet the Parents. You guys remember that, that movie, Meet the Parents with uh, Ben Stiller, right? She hates that movie. Because she feels like the guy can't get justice, right? He just, everything keeps going worse and worse for him. And, and so I think it's kind of funny. I think it's a funny movie. But, but she doesn't like it because she has a heart of justice. But this is a great reminder that justice is coming. 
You cannot get away from the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. We look at what's going on in Israel. We look at what Hamas did to the Israeli people. And you want, gosh, where's the justice? It's coming. Now, it may not come as quickly as you would like. It may not even come in this lifetime. Remember, it is coming regardless. And so that, take comfort in knowing. But that can also be for you as well, for me as well. The things that we do that aren't right. There's justice coming. We have to make sure we are walking in, in the everlasting way or else we're going to be hit with that same justice. Then verse 8 says this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everything life from the Spirit. Everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good and at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So we see this. Sin, sin will produce all this wicked fruit. But Galatians, Paul tells us when he's writing to the, city, uh, to the church in Galatia, he said, don't give up. Good things are coming. And I think that's the solution God has given us. He's, God has stepped in. I love this, this, this little phrase in Scripture when it says, but God. Anytime you see the word but and then God after, it means that we did this. Something bad happened over here, but God stepped in. God is going to redeem something. God has given us solutions. In 1 John 1.9, it says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's, all, that's, that's, that's a, an amazing promise. We just have to confess our sins to Him and He will cleanse us of all that, that unrighteous wickedness. David comes to the Lord often he says lord search my heart see if there's any wicked thing in me now david has done many wicked things but he comes back to the lord and he says lord i'm sorry i give it over to you that's what makes david different than king saul that's what makes david different than many of the other kings that would follow david david did wicked things just like all of them but david had a heart where he said i know i sinned i know i made a mistake i'm going to the lord because he's the god who can cleanse me of all unrighteousness in romans 6 23 it, it uh, one of the most famous verses in scripture when you're sharing your your faith this is you know put this one to memory it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus our lord all of us have sinned and the wages of that is going to produce death and it's going to come back and manifest itself. It will never, it will never, uh, you might think you're hiding, you might think you're getting away, you're never going to be able to get away from sin ultimately if you don't confess your sins to the Lord. But if you do, he's faithful and just and he'll cleanse you. So now we see here, we're going to the story of David. David has, at this point in the story, he's been betrayed by everybody around him. He's been betrayed by his family, his closest, his closest relatives. His son is trying to steal the kingdom from him. He's been betrayed by his friends. We see Ahithophel, the, the wise counselor that was around David for many years, uh, has now betrayed him, and he's on Absalom, on the side of Absalom, David's son. And then even the beloved city, the city of Jerusalem that David just absolutely adored has now turned its back on him and all of, all of Jerusalem is now siding with David's son Absalom in this battle, this civil war that is happening. He's entered one of the, most, the, the lowest points of all of his life and it goes back to be, it's all because of his sin. It's all because of what he did with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. 
And we'll get into that in a second. But verse 15, let's pick up in, in chapter 16, verse 15 here. It says, Meanwhile, Absalom, David's son, and all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem accompanied by Ahithophel. Now, this shows you right here. The whole, the whole tide has changed. There is now a new king. There is now a new leader in the city. All of Israel and the army with him is entering into Jerusalem. It's, it's over for David. If you're in any type of, uh, if you're a, a historian, a world historian, you will see that when a new king comes in, the old king never regains power. I mean, very rarely does the old king come back into power. I mean, it hardly ever happens. So this would seem for all of Israel that David, the legacy of David is now done. It is over. We got a new king. Let's, let's move in that direction. All of Israel and the army is with Absalom, even Ahithophel. So what do you do when you're at this point? When you come in, when you, if you're David, what should, what's the first instinct? Maybe you run, maybe you fight, maybe you go and you, you just go to another nation, find exile and create a new life. No, 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 David didn't do that. David worshipped. David Judah first. David went to the Lord and gave him praise for who he was. And you may be saying, well, where is that in this passage? Let me show you right here. If you go to Psalms, it'll tell you when David wrote a lot of these songs of praise to the Lord. Psalm chapter 3 says this, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Verse 1, listen to the heart that David has in this. He's putting everything in God's hands. He's trusting God. The world is crashing in around him and he runs to the Lord in his time of trouble. He Judah first. Lord, how are they multiplied that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many, are they, many there are who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. Selah is a musical term. A lot of scholars believe that it is a, this was a song, so this could have been a musical break. It could have been a pause for, for uh, remembrance or, or just take a second to, to reflect and meditate on what was just said. So when you'll see that word, uh, many times in, in the Psalms, the book of Psalms. But thou, O Lord, art a, sh art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up my, of my head. I love that verse. Everything's crashing in around me, but Lord, you are my shield. You are my glory, and you will lift up my head. I mean, David, there's no glory if you're David at this point in the natural realm. Everyone sees David as, I mean, the last, last week we saw Shimei was throwing dirt on David as David left the city. He was mocking David. He was cursing David. There's no glory naturally, but David says, Lord, you're my glory. I know where to go. You're the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. He, sees, he knows that God's there. He knows that God is listening and sees him in his, in his despair. How often do we get that sense that, God, are you even there? Everything around me is crashing in around me, and, I, and Lord, I don't even think you're there anymore. And yet David says, I know you're there. I don't think he felt that God was there. I think he believed God was there. There's a big difference between your feelings and the truth. Just FYI. <laughs> we have a culture that believes feelings is truth. No, no, your feelings are not truth. Your feelings might be aligned with truth sometimes, but very, very, very rarely uh, is that the case because even the Bible says that the human heart is wicked. It's deceitful, de desperately wicked. Who can even know it? It's basically saying your heart, where all of your feelings, your emotions come from, it's deceitful. Don't trust it. David, I don't think, felt God was there. David believed 
he knew God was there and he spoke that God was there. He says, God, I cried to you with my voice and you heard me from your holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me on all sides. And we'll come back to that 10,000 phrase at the end of the message here. Oh, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. David went to the spiritual weapon of praise when everything around him was falling apart. Do you do that? Do I do that? Is that our first instinct? That should be. We have got to learn to Judah. We've got to learn to praise God in the storms. And, li- and I said it earlier, Judah literally means to praise. Now, it's interesting that if you look at how Jesus is referred to in Scripture, Jesus is often talked about as a lion, but in Revelation, we see that Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, think about that. Lions are powerful. When lions get up and move, like the whole animal kingdom, you know, gets out of the way, right? Things happen when the lion moves. But it's, he's coming from the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5 says this, but, the, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. This is, this is John. John is having a revelation of what, what he's seeing in the last days and in, in, in the heavenly realms. What he's seeing, and he looks up and he, and he sees that there is a battle and there's, 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 uh, there, there's, a scroll, there's scrolls that need to be opened. And nobody has the strength to open them. And so he's crying. He's saying, I can't, I can't believe that we're here and we can't get these scrolls open. We're, there's, there's not going to be any victory. And one of, the, one of the elders, one of the 24 elders sitting around the throne st- said to John, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. Some, some translations will say the root of David. The root of David has won the victory. That's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe that praises has won the victory. Judah, when you are looking at the world and it seems lost and all seems lost, go to that Judah first mentality. Judah first means to praise first. That should be the response of every child of God when it comes to how we go into our battles. Judah first, praise first. That's why we start our services with praise. That's why we come in singing. We say, hey, I don't know what we're bringing in here. You might be bringing addiction. You might be bringing bondage. You may be bringing brokenness or hurt, or you may be bringing uh, confusion. Whatever you're bringing, that's okay. Come into this place, begin to praise, and let let the heavens do what the heavens do when the people of God praise. The battle begins to turn in your direction the moment you start praising when you Judah first. Verse 16, when David's friend Hushai, uh, Hushai the archite, arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom. Now remember, David told Hushai, hey, because Hushai said, I'm going to go with you, David. I'm, I'm loyal to you. So here's a guy that saw what God was doing through David, and he didn't abandon David in his time of need. And David told Hushai, go back to Absalom. I may need you in there to pass me all of the, the secrets that are going on in Absalom's court. So he's kind of a spy. So Hushai goes back. Hushai goes to to Absalom, and he says this. He says, long live the king, he explained. Long live the king. Now, this is, this is really interesting here, because you may, you may look at this and be like, Hushai, what are you doing? I thought you were David's friend. Well, he, he exclaimed, long live, live the, king, the king. Hushai was loyal to the anointed servant of the Lord, and it wasn't Absalom, and he knew that. 
Now look, look what happens when, when he's addressed by Absalom. Absalom says, is this the way you treat your friend David? So Absalom knew that Hushai was his father's good friend. And he's like, you're coming back into my, ki- my court and you say, long live the king. Why aren't you with him, Hushai? Why, what, 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 what turned in your heart? I think Absalom was probably a little skeptical of who this guy really, whose side this guy was really on. And then uh, Hushai replied, he said, I am here because I belong to the man who is chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel. Now, I I think this is interesting because never once does Hushai say, I am loyal to you, Absalom. He says, I am loyal to the one that is chosen by the Lord. Who does Hushai know is chosen by the Lord? David. Okay, when you're in... Sometimes people, as Christians, they, they, they think we have to be totally transparent to be truthful. Now, you can be truthful without giving away the whole truth. There's a way to do this in, with shrewdness. You don't, have to, you don't have to lie. We're not saying go out and lie. But there are times that God's children can be very shrewd in what they say and how they say it. Hushai's not lying here. He's literally going to Absalom and saying, I'm loyal to the king. If Absalom wants to think he's the chosen king, that's on Absalom. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm loyal to God's chosen servant. And Absalom, I know in my heart of hearts, it ain't you. But I'm going to let you think it is you. There's a great passage or a great clip in Narnia uh, when the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. When the fox who's captured, I don't even remember this. The queen has Edmund and, and they're, they're, she's basically trying to keep grip on her reign. And all of a sudden the fox who's loyal to, to Aslan and the, the good side is is captured by the wolves and they bring him into the presence of the queen who's a wicked queen and edmund who is prophesied to be one of the kings he's that's a picture of us as children of god children of aslan or jesus like edmund standing right there and the fox says i am sorry my majesty i've let you down and the queen says don't don't try to flatter me and the fox looks at the queen and says i'll do respect madam i wasn't talking to you Ooh, I mean, that was good. I, that's one of those where I'm like, okay, well, you're probably going to die, but that was really, really cool what you just did there, right? And, it, but it was just that he was looking at the anointed one, right? He was seeing what Hushai, the fox really, honestly, is kind of a picture of Hushai in that moment. He's saying, you think you're the ruler. No, this, you're not because the one who created all of this says this person's the ruler. And I'm going to go with him. I'm siding with Yahweh on this one, not you, Absalom. Verse 19, And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I will be your advisor. So this, this is interesting because sometimes people will use Romans 13 or a passage like this and say, Hey, Hushai is serving the anointed ruler. And we've got to submit to the authority that God has raised up, which is true, which is true. Romans 13 says this. It says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And there's no position of authority uh, that has been placed there had it not been by God. So anyone who rebels against this authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Now I want you to stop here. If Absalom, the narcissist that he is, he could, if, we, if they would have had Romans 13, it wasn't written yet. So just, this is just my, you know, making the connection here if romans 13 would have been around 
And Absalom was sitting on the throne. He could have used Romans 13 to his own advantage. He could have said, hey, I'm on the throne, therefore God must have wanted this to happen, so you all have to submit to me, and if you rebel against me, now you're rebelling against God. Would that have been true for Absalom to say that? No. It wasn't the, it wasn't the authority God raised up was not Absalom. Absalom might have been sitting in the throne, but it wasn't God's authority. It, don't think that you have to submit to somebody sitting on the throne because they are the authority God raised up. That's not, that's not what God is saying in this. God is saying, know the actual authority that I've raised up first and foremost and submit to that authority. Remember, uh, was, what was her name? Veruca Salt from uh, Willy Wonka. You guys remember that? She was a spoiled, the spoiled little girl that wanted everything and her dad would give it. She was running the household. Was she the authority God raised up? Like, as a child, are children allowed to be the authority that God raises up in a home? No. <laughs> there's, a, there's some really bold uh, parents right there. Heck no! Oh, yeah! He's like elbowing your son. You're like, did you hear him? Did you hear him? Right? Uh, no, but, but sometimes we have seen this warped twisting of that authority. Now, Veruca Salt, or the child, was running the home, and the father was submitting to her. Not the authority God raised up, okay? And I'm saying that this happens a lot in our culture. We saw in 2020, we saw many people say, I had to submit to the governing authority because of Romans 13. When the governor or the mayor told me to shut down my church or to shut down my business or to, you know, I'm essential or they're non-essential, I have to submit because God said Romans 13. I will argue, and I truly believe, that you submitted to the wrong authority if you went down that path. What's the authority in the United States? I'm just going to give you a little education because if you don't know this, how can you submit to the right authority if you don't understand the authority structure? If you don't know that the child's not supposed to be the authority, you would have looked at Veruca and you would say, well, she's sitting on the throne of that family. I guess that's the authority God raised up. I guess that we have to submit to her. No, you don't understand the authority structure. In the United States, the, the authority structure, we have three basic pieces of this authority structure. Let me start with the second one here. The second one is this, the Constitution, both federal and state constitutions. That's the authority. And then the third one is the governing officials that are underneath the Constitution. You cannot step out. If you're a president, if you're a mayor, if you're a governor, you cannot step out from the constitutional authority. If you do, you're breaking Romans 13. But what's the number one? Well, first of all, let me show you this. This might help. So you have the United States Constitution. So this is the, the tier of the authority, almost the tier of the authority. This is that second tier. And it gives power to the White House, to the legislature, to the judicial branch. And then you have people who are elected. Now, it all has to stay in the bounds of that authority right? Does it not? So it has to stay there. If you are, if you, if you don't get this, you might think the president or the mayor or the governor is at the top of the authority. He's not. She's not. Who is the number one authority in the United States? We the people. Now this is the United States. So if you go to Iran, it's not, it doesn't work this way in Iran. You need to know the authority structure in Iran. And you need to submit to the authority structure as long as that authority structure doesn't tell you to do something that's ungodly or unbiblical. Because again, ultimately it's all God's authority. The moment any one of these authorities step outside from God's authority, you obey God. You don't obey the authority, you obey God. But as long as they're staying in the bounds of what God has said is right and wrong, then you obey the authority structures of, that, of, of who God has placed up over you. But I see it 
in the United States, the problem is we have too many people who don't know the truth about the authority God has raised up over us. And so they, someone says something and they're like, well, they're a politician. They're sitting on a throne just like Absalom was and they told me to do something. I guess I have to do it. No, that's not how it works. We the people are the authority. That's why the big we the people in big, bold, you know, uh, amazing looking writing. I don't, what, what do they call this writing? Uh, calligraphy. That's right. Yeah, calligraphy. So, I mean, it looks amazing. Why is it so bold? Because when the founders wrote the Constitution, they, in the preamble, they wanted everyone to know we are the governing authority God has raised up in the United States. The Constitution submits to we the people. The politicians submit to the Constitution, which submits to, me, to we the people. That's how it works. The preamble says this, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty... The blessings of liberty, again, they're seeing it. It's a blessing. Where do blessings come from? They come from God. To ourselves and our posterity, our children, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I tell you this only because it's so important. Because if you don't know this, this is how you, this is how you get destroyed. Hosea 4.6 says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. When I saw, how many people died in 2020 because a church wasn't open for them to go and get spiritual counsel when they were feeling lonely, when they were feeling despair, when they were feeling suicidal, and there was no church open? Because church leaders said, oh, I got to listen to the governing authority. You know what the Lord was saying? That mayor is not the governing authority. The Constitution strictly forbids the government from shutting down a church. You've just disobeyed me, church, and now it's led to consequences of people taking their own lives because they had no place to go where there was hope. This is the problem. These have detrimental effects if we don't know the truth. That's why I'm harping on this. In the United States, we have to know the governing authorities. And I hope every pastor around the world, this is not, about a, this is not a United States talk, I hope, I hope every single pastor in every nation around the world is teaching their congregation what the authority structure in their nation is so they can do ministry effectively in that nation. If you don't know the authority structure, you'll never be effective when you are walking this life and trying to minister to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, then Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked, what should I do? Remember, Ahithophel is the wise counselor that David had for many years, but he's now abandoned David. He's, he's a turncoat. Ahithophel told him, go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Remember the ten concubines to take, up, take care of the palace? Ahithophel says, go and sleep with them. Then all of Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support to you. Basically, Ahithophel is saying, there are still some people in Israel that think that there might be some reconciliation that could happen between David and Absalom. Most of Israel probably knew David loved Absalom as a son. David probably was going to look to restore Absalom if he could. But the moment Absalom does this, Ahithophel is saying, this is the point of no return. You're not coming back from this. When you go into your father's wives, his concubines, you are now basically saying, I am the new alpha male. It's really, just so you know, this is not ordained by God. Okay? This is a pagan culture ritual. This is when a king takes over, the new alpha male comes in, they would sleep with the former king's uh, harem, and they would then show the whole kingdom, I'm the new alpha male, this was the transfer of power. Praise God that we live in a nation where we have a peaceful transfer of power. Let's not take it for granted when we see every four years power is being transferred, that it doesn't have to be like this, right? <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but up until 
the last 150, 200 years, this was pretty normal. And it still is normal in some, in some uh, dictatorships and regimes around the world to do something like this. So, so Absalom takes the concubines and, and sleeps with the concubines for all of Israel to see. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. Susan, I, I told her what we were talking about today, just so you know. She said, do not make any middle school jokes about this right here, okay? You are not allowed to make. So I have a lot of things I would like to say right now that I think would be funny and witty, but I'm not going to do it, okay? Okay, I'm just not going to do it. Okay, so anyway, Absalom, ah, I really want to do it. I, mean, <laughs> I won't do it. All right, move on, Micah, move on. You're doing so well. All right, if people had been following Levitical law, again, God, this is a pagan practice. If they would have been going back and saying, what does God say about this? They would have said, we got to kill Absalom because what he just did is ungodly. But they didn't do it. They were taking pagan practices and moving them into a godly culture. This is what happens all the time. We do this in America. We take pagan, pagan practices, move them into a godly culture. We've got to be careful. That's a very dangerous thing we fall into many times. We think, well, the other kings and other nations do it this way. If we do it this way, then our people will see it the same way these other nations see it, and it will work out well. No, he would have been killed based on Levitical law. And I get a lot of people who will point to Absalom or stories in the Bible and say, well, because, because he did it, God obviously approved of it. No, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God wanted it to happen. And just because God said it was going to happen doesn't mean God wants it to happen. So God, God made it very clear this is what's going to happen to David. Nathan the prophet years earlier testified, prophesied to David, your enemy whom you're close to, will do what you did, but he will do it in plain sight of all of Israel. And he will take from you the same thing you took in secret from another man. He's going to do it, but he's going to do it in all of Israel. Remember what 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 and 12, 9 through 12 says this. This is God's prophetic word to David through the prophet Nathan. The Lord says to David, why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife Bathsheba. And remember, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So you see there's a lot of family dynamics going on here. I can see why Ahithophel kind of went with Absalom. He sought, like, you killed my granddaughter's husband, David. So again, just a little bit of history. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your wise wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Literally, everything God had said is now happening. And he says this. This is, this is the, the one-two punch right here. You did it secretly. You thought you could hide your sin. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. This is a question. It doesn't say this in Scripture. But what, what, hap- what I thought of when I read this is I wonder if this was the same rooftop that Bathsheba would have been bathing on. Wouldn't that be ironic? The same rooftop where all of this began to tumble downhill because of David's sin could this have been the same rooftop that Absalom slept with his father's wives? Sin comes full circle. Sin will find you out. Sin will destroy everything in your life if you don't invite the Lord in to cleanse you of that sin. And David is seeing that right now. There's consequences. 
Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. And that's how we wrap up this passage right here. But I, I want you to recognize that last verse, even though it's a little bit of a break from the story, the, the author is writing this because they're saying, Ahithophel was cloaked in righteousness. However, he wasn't righteous on the inside. You got to be discerning. Just because someone says they're religious, or they're a pastor, they're a leader, you got to make sure that you're saying, Lord, what are you speaking? What is your word saying? Because there are many people that will come wearing sheep's clothing, but they are wolves, and they will lead you astray. What Ahithophel is doing right now is he is saying, Hey, I'm giving you godly counsel, Absalom, but it wasn't godly at all. And if anything, it was, you're going to see that it actually causes great consequences on Ahithophel's life. I'm going to jump to verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, because I want to go back to one little thing I said earlier. Now, Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. So Ahithophel is saying, we're going to go put David down. We're going to cut him off. He's, we're going to kill him. Remember Psalm chapter 3, verse 6, it said this when I read this at the beginning. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. David ran to the Lord. He gave him praise. And he said, because of this, and there's 12,000 people that Ahithophel is going to put together. And David literally writes in Psalm chapter 3, verse 6, he says, they got 10,000 people coming after me, but I'm going to Judah first. In the midst of my judgment and my persecution, because it was both, the judgment of the Lord, but it was also persecution from the wicked. It can be, it can be both. David says, I'm going to Judah first. So my question to all of us today are you walking through the consequences of past mistakes? Are you walking through the, the you've, you've done dumb things, you've done sinful things, wicked things, and you've asked for forgiveness, but there are still consequences? Well, Judah first. Don't try to say, Lord, why are these consequences happening to me? No, just say, okay, I, this is, God's good and he's just, and, and I just need to give him praise. Are you walking through a betrayal from a friend, a family, a city, a, you know, those closest to you? Judah first. Praise God first. Go to him in praise. Make Psalm chapter 3 your, your life's verse. I, on, on your notes, I also put a couple other psalms that David wrote in this time as well. So you can actually go and you can read those psalms as well. Are you walking through the hurts and pains of a fallen world. Maybe it's nothing you've done. Maybe it's nothing people around you have done. Maybe it's just the hurts and pains. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you've gotten, you've gotten some, some diagnosis that you're like, Lord, what the heck? Judah first. Go to, Lord, go to the Lord and praise. Say, Lord, you're good. I trust you. I'm going to Judah first. Church, if we become a, a community of people who Judah first, I'm telling you, there's nothing that we can't overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. This is the, pra I love this message because I think this is the practical aspect of how to walk through this world. Sometimes we say, hey, just, just go to the Lord. God's got this. Trust God. Okay, but, but how? What do I do with that? Judah first. Praise God first. Turn on the praise music in your car and just worship. Come to church and just raise your hands and sing loud. Like, just give him glory walking down the street. Say, Lord, your glory, your glory surpasses everything in the world. There's no other, no other name higher than yours. You are so good. You're so just. You're so merciful and, and you're so awesome. That's praise. That's an aspect of praise right there. Do that. That's how you overcome whatever is, it is that the world or your consequences or, or the pains 
of, of those who have betrayed you. That's how you overcome those things. Judah first. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. and just, just take a moment in your own heart. Just give God praise. Just practice this. This is, this is something you've got to practice. Spiritual warfare takes practice. and it, just, just say, Lord, I give you praise now because you're this to me. You've done this. Or, or this is what your word says you are. And if you can't think of anything, just say, Lord, I give you praise because you're great. Simple little praises like that begin to help you overcome those battles in your life because you're beginning to Judah first. The line of the tribe of praise. God sits, Jesus sits enthroned on the, the praises of his people. Just do that right now. Just in your own heart, just tell the Lord an amazing praise that you have for him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God, we give you praise. You are great. You're majestic. You're wonderful. There is no name like yours. There's never been anyone like you. There will never be anyone like you. You are the great high king. And we worship you and praise you now. No matter what this world is throwing at us, God, all of the chaos or the confusion or the hurts and the pains, the betrayals, whatever it is, God, we just come in here and we say, we give you glory for being holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who sits enthroned over the entire universe. Worthy is your name. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We praise you, God. Let us be a people who constantly Judah first. Judges chapter 20, verse 18, it says, send Judah first. I pray, God, when we see those shirts, when we see those, that scripture verse, it's just a reminder to send Judah first. Send the praises out first in the, the heart of the battle. Just like David did, he turned to you. Let us be a people who turn to you as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.